Chapters 108 through 111 of the Autobiography of Benvenuto Cellini, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Autobiography of Benvenuto Cellini, Volume 1, translated by John Eddington Simons. Chapters 108 through 111. Chapter 108. I then began to deliberate upon the best way of making my escape. No sooner had I been locked in than I went about exploring my prison, and when I thought I had discovered how to get out of it, I pondered the means of descending from the lofty keep, for so the great round central tower is called. I took those new sheets of mine, which, as I have said already, I had cut in strips and sewn together. Then I reckoned up the quantity which would be sufficient for my purpose. Having made this estimate and put all things in order, I looked out a pair of pincers, which I had abstracted from a Savoyard, belonging to the guard of the castle. This man superintended the casks and cisterns. He also amused himself with carpentering. Now he possessed several pairs of pincers, among which was one, both big and heavy. I then, thinking it would suit my purpose, took it and hid it in my straw mattress. The time had now come for me to use it, so I began to try the nails which kept the hinges of my door in place. The door was double, and the clinching of the nails could not be seen, so that when I attempted to draw one out, I met with the greatest trouble. In the end, however, I succeeded. When I had drawn the first nail, I besought me how to prevent its being noticed. For this purpose I mixed some rust, which I had scraped from old iron, with a little wax, obtaining exactly the same color as the heads of long nails which I had extracted. Then I set myself to counterfeit these heads and place them on the holdfasts. For each nail I extracted, I made a counterfeit in wax. I left the hinges attached to their doorposts at top and bottom by means of some of some nails that I had drawn. But I took care to cut these and replace them lightly so that they only just supported the irons in the hinges. All this I performed with the greatest difficulty because the castellan kept dreaming every night that I had escaped which made him send from time to time to inspect my prison. The man who came had the title and behavior of a catchpole. He was called Bozza, and used always to bring with him another of the same sort, named Giovanni, and nicknamed Pedignone. The latter was a soldier, and Bozza a serving man. Giovanni never entered my prison without saying something offensive to me. He came from the district of Prato, and had been an apothecary in the town there. Every evening he minutely examined the holdfasts of the hinges on the whole chamber, and I used to say, Keep a good watch over me, for I am resolved by all means to escape. These words bred a great enmity between him and me, so that I was obliged to use precautions to conceal my tools, that is to say, my pincers, and a great big poniard and other appurtenances. All these I put away together in my mattress, 
where I also kept the strips of linen I had made. When day broke, I used immediately to sweep my room out, and though I am by nature a lover of cleanliness, at that time I kept myself unusually spick and span. After sweeping up, I made my bed as daintily as I could, laying flowers upon it, which a Savoyard used to bring me nearly every morning. He had the care of the cistern and the casks, and also amused himself with carpentering. It was from him I stole the pincers, which I used in order to draw out the nails from the holdfasts of the hinges. CHAPTER 109 Well, to return to the subject of my bed. When Bozza and Pedignone came, I always told them to give it a wide berth, so as not to dirty and spoil it for me. Now and then, just to irritate me, they would touch it lightly, upon which I cried, Ah, dirty cowards, I'll lay my hand on one of your swords there, and will do you a mischief that will make you wonder. Do you think you are fit to touch the bed of a man like me? When I chastise you I shall not heed my own life, for I am certain to take yours. Let me alone, then, with my troubles and my tribulations, and don't give me more annoyance than I have already. If not, I shall make you see what a desperate man is able to do. These words they reported to the castellan, who gave them express orders never to go near my bed, and when they came to me, to come without swords, but for the rest, to keep a watchful guard upon me. Having thus secured my bed from meddlers, I felt as though the main point was gained, for there lay all things needful to my venture. It happened on the evening of a certain feast day, that the castellan was seriously indisposed, his humours grew extravagant. He kept repeating that he was a bat, and if they heard that Benvenuto had flown away, they must let him go to catch me up, since he could fly by night, most certainly as well, or better than myself. For it was thus he argued. Benvenuto is a counterfeit bat, but I am a real one, and since he is committed to my care, leave me to act, I shall be sure to catch him. He had passed several nights in this frenzy, and had worn out all his servants, whereof I received full information through diverse channels, but especially from the Savoyard, who was my friend at heart. On the evening of the feast day, then, I made my mind to escape, come what might, and first I prayed most devoutly to God, imploring His Divine Majesty, to protect and succor me in that so perilous adventure. Afterwards I set to work at all the things I needed, and laboured the whole of the night. It was two hours before daybreak, when at last I removed those hinges with the greatest toil. But the wooden panel itself, and the bolt too, offered such resistance, that I could not open the door. So I had to cut into the wood. Yet in the end I got it open, and shouldering the strips of linen, which I had rolled up like bundles of flax upon two sticks. I went forth, and directed my steps towards the latrines of the keep. Spying from within two tiles upon the roof, I was able at once to clamber up with ease. I wore a white doublet with a pair of white hose and a pair of half-boots, into which I had stuck the poniard I have mentioned. After scaling to the roof, I took one end of my linen roll and attached it to a piece of antique tile which was built into the fortress wall. 
it happened to jut out scarcely four fingers. In order to fix the band, I gave it the form of a stirrup. When I had attached it to that piece of tile, I turned to God and said, Lord God, give aid to my good cause. You know that it is good. You see that I am aiding myself. Then I let myself go gently by degrees, supporting myself with the sinews of my arms, until I touched the ground. There was no moonshine, but the light of a fair open heaven. When I stood upon my feet on solid earth, I looked up at the vast hate which I had descended with such spirit, and went gladly away, thinking I was free. But this was not the case, for the castellan on that side of the fortress had built two lofty walls, the space between which he used for stable and henyard. The place was barred with thick iron bolts outside. I was terribly disgusted to find there was no exit from this trap. But while I paced up and down debating what to do, I stumbled on a long pole which was covered up with straw. Not without great trouble I succeeded in placing it against the wall, and then swarmed up it by the force of my arms, until I reached the top. But since the wall ended in the sharp ridge, I had not strength enough to drag the pole up after me. Accordingly, I made my mind up to use a portion of the second roll of linen which I had there. The other was left hanging from the keep of the castle. So I cut a piece off, tied it to the pole, and clambered down the wall, enduring the utmost toil and fatigue. I was quite exhausted, and had moreover played the inside of my hands, which bled freely. This compelled me to rest a while, and I bathed my hands in my own urine. When I thought that my strength was recovered, I advanced quickly toward the last rampart, which faces toward Prati. There I put my bundle of linen lines down upon the ground, meaning to fasten them round a battlement, and descend the lesser as I had the greater height. But no sooner had I placed the linen, that I became aware behind me of a sentinel, who was going the rounds. Seeing my designs interrupted, and my life in peril, I resolved to face the guard. This fellow, when he noticed my bold front, and that I was marching on him with weapon in hand, quickened his pace and gave me a wide berth. I had left my lines some little way behind, so I turned with hasty steps to regain them. And though I came within sight of another sentinel, he seemed as though he did not choose to take notice of me. Having found my lines and attached them to the battlement, I let myself go. On the descent whether it was that I thought I had really come to earth, and relaxed my grasp to jump, or whether my hands were so tired that they could not keep their hold, at any rate I fell, struck my head in falling, and lay stunned for more than an hour and a half, so far as I could judge. It was just upon daybreak, when the fresh breeze, which blows an hour before the sun, revived me. Yet I did not immediately recover my senses, for I thought my head had been cut off and fancied that I was in purgatory. With time, little by little, my faculties returned, and I perceived that I was outside the castle, and in a flash remembered all my adventures. I was aware of the wound in my head, 
before I knew my leg was broken. For I put my hands up and withdrew them covered with blood. Then I searched the spot well, and judged and ascertained that I had sustained no injury of consequence there. But when I wanted to stand up, I discovered that my right leg was broken three inches above the heel. Not even this dismayed me. I drew forth my poniard with its scabbard. The latter had a metal point ending in a large ball, which had caused the fracture of my leg. For the bone, coming into violent contact with the ball, and not being able to bend, had snapped at that point. I threw the sheath away, and with the poniard cut a piece of the linen which I had left. Then I bound my leg up as well as I could, and crawled on all fours with the poniard in my hand toward the city gate. When I reached it I found it shut, but I noticed a stone just beneath the door, which did not appear to be very firmly fixed. This I attempted to dislodge, after setting my hands to it, and feeling it move, it easily gave away, and I drew it out. Through the gap thus made, I crept into the town. CHAPTER 110 I had crawled more than five hundred paces from the place where I fell to the gate by which I entered. No sooner had I got inside than some mastiff dogs set upon me and bit me badly. When they returned to the attack and worried me, I drew my poniard and wounded one of them so sharply that he howled aloud, and all the dogs, according to their nature, ran after him. I meanwhile made the best way I could on all fours, toward the church of the Trespontina. On arriving at the opening of the street, which leads to Sant'Agnolo, I turned off into the direction of San Piero, and now the dawn had risen over me, and I felt myself in danger. When therefore I chanced to meet a water-carrier, driving his donkey, laden with full buckets, I called the fellow and begged him to carry me upon his back to the terrace by the steps of San Piero, adding, I am an unfortunate young man, who, while escaping from a window in a love adventure, have fallen and broken my leg. The place from which I made my exit is one of great importance, and if I am discovered, I run risk of being cut to pieces. So for heaven's sake lift me quickly, and I will give you a crown of gold." Saying this, I clapped my hand to my purse, where I had a good quantity. He took me up at once, hitched me on his back, and carried me to the raised terrace by the steps of San Piero. There I bade him leave me, saying he must run back to his donkey. I resumed my march, crawling always on all fours, and making for the palace of the Duchess, wife of Duke Ottavio, and daughter of the Emperor. She was his natural child, and had been married to Duke Alessandro. I chose her house for the refuge, because I was quite certain that many of my friends, who had come with that great princess from Florence, were tarrying there. Also because she had taken me into favor through something which the castellan had said in my behalf. Wishing to be of service to me, he told the Pope that I had saved the city more than a thousand crowns of damage, caused by heavy rain on the occasion when the Duchess made her entrance into Rome. He related how he was in despair, and how I put heart into him, and went on to describe 
how I had pointed several large pieces of artillery in the direction where the clouds were thickest, and whence a deluge of water was already pouring. Then, when I began to fire, the rain stopped, and at the fourth discharge the sun shone out, and so I was the sole cause of the festival succeeding, to the joy of everybody. On hearing this narration, the Duchess said, That Benvenuto is one of the artists of merit, who enjoyed the goodwill of my late husband, Duke Alessandro, and I shall always hold them in mind, if an opportunity comes, of doing such men service. She also talked of me to Duke Ottavio. For these reasons I meant to go straight to the house of Her Excellency, which was a very fine palace, situated in Borgio Vecchio. I should have been quite safe from recapture by the Pope if I could have stayed there, but my exploits up to this point had been too marvellous for a human being, and God was unwilling to encourage my vainglory. Accordingly, for my own good, he chastised me a second time, worse even than the first. The cause of this was that while I was crawling on all fours up those steps, a servant of Cardinal Cornaro recognized me. His master was then lodging in the palace, so the servant ran up to his room and woke him, crying, Most Reverend Monsignor, your friend Benvenuto is down there. He has escaped from the castle, and is crawling on all fours, streaming with blood. To all appearances he has broken a leg, and we don't know whether he is going. The cardinal exclaimed at once, Run and carry him upon your back into my room here. When I arrived he told me to be under no apprehension, and sent for the first physicians of Rome to take my case in hand. Among them was Maestro Giacomo of Perugia, a most excellent and able surgeon. He set the bone with dexterity, then bound the limb up, and bled me with his own hand. It happened that my veins were swollen far beyond their usual size, and he too wished to make a pretty wide incision. Accordingly, the blood sprang forth so copiously, and spurted with such force into his face, that he had to abandon the operation. He regarded this a very bad omen, and could hardly be prevailed upon to undertake my cure. Indeed, he often expressed a wish to leave me, remembering that he ran no little risk of punishment for having treated my case, or rather for having proceeded to end with it. The cardinal had me placed in a secret chamber, and went off immediately to beg me from the Pope. CHAPTER 111 During this while all Rome was in an uproar, for they had observed the bands of linen fastened to the great keep of the castle, and folk were running in crowds to behold so extraordinary a thing. The castellan had gone off into one of his worst fits of frenzy. In spite of all his servants, he insisted upon taking his flight also from the tower, saying that no one could recapture me except himself, if he were to fly after me. Messer Roberto Pucci, the father of Messer Pandolfo, having heard of the great event, went in person to inspect the place. Afterwards he came to the palace, where he met with Cardinal Cornaro, who told him exactly what had happened, and how I was lodged in one of his own chambers, and already in the doctor's hands. 
these two worthy men went together and threw themselves upon their knees before the pope but he before they could get a word out cried aloud i know all what you want of me messer roberto pucci then began most blessed father we beg you for heaven's grace to give us up that unfortunate man surely his great talents entitled him to exceptional treatment moreover he has displayed such audacity blent with so much ingenuity that his exploit might seem superhuman we know not for what crimes your holiness has kept him so long in prison however if those crimes are too exorbitant your holiness is wise and holy and may your will be done unquestioned still if they are such as can be condoned we entreat you to pardon him for our sake the pope when he heard this felt shame and answered i have kept him in prison at the request of some of my people since he is a little too violent in his behaviour but recognising his talents and wishing to keep him near our person we had intended to treat him so well that he should have no reason to return to france i am very sorry to hear of this bad accident tell him to mind his health and when he is recovered we will make it up to him for all his troubles those two excellent men returned and told me the good news they were bringing from the pope meanwhile the nobility of rome young old and all sorts came to visit me the castellan out of his mind as he was had himself carried to the pope and when he was in the presence of his holiness began to cry out and to say that if he did not send me back to prison he would do him a great wrong he escaped under peril which he gave me woe is me that he has flown away when he promised not to fly the pope said laughing go go for i will give him back to you without fail the castellan then added speaking to the pope send the governor to him to find out who helped him to escape for if it is one of my men i will hang him from the battlement whence benvenuto leaped on his departure the pope called the governor and said smiling that is a brave fellow and his exploit is something marvellous all the same when i was a young man i also descended from the fortress at that very spot in so saying the pope spoke the truth for he had been imprisoned in the castle for forging a brief at the time when he was abbreviated de parco majoris pope alexander kept him confined for some length of time and afterwards his offence being of too ugly a nature had resolved on cutting off his head he postponed the execution however till after corpus domini and farnese getting wind of the pope's will summoned pietro cevaluzzi with a lot of horses and managed to corrupt some of the castle guards with money accordingly upon the day of corpus domini while the pope was going in procession farnese got into a basket and was let down by a rope to the ground at that time the outer walls had not been built around the castle only the great central tower existed so that he had not the same enormous difficulty that i met with in escaping moreover he had been imprisoned justly and i against all equity what he wanted was to brag before the governor 
of having in his youth been spirited and brave, and it did not occur to him that he was calling attention to his own huge rogueries. He said then, Go and tell him to reveal his accomplice without apprehension to you, be the man who he may be, since I have pardoned him, and this you may assure him without reservation. End of chapters 108 through 111